Coast in Florida. This is the Dadpreneur Podcast, where we'll feature entrepreneurs, share digital marketing strategies to help grow your business, and discuss the dynamics of family and business. Now your host, Alex Oliveira. Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Tim Snow of the George Snow Foundation. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. It's great to see you again. Absolutely. I had actually never been to the office here in Boca. It's a beautiful building. Tell us a little bit about Boca Raton and your background here and where we're sitting in Meisner Park. Yeah, well, we, uh, we're very fortunate. We uh, were able to get a great space in Meisner Park at a very, very favorable rent. Uh, we got a great long-term lease here, so um, it, it's good to be right downtown in, in the middle of all the action. Uh, I grew up in Boca Raton, been living here since 1958, uh, and so it's uh, it's a pleasure for me to be able to just sort of drive around and uh, look at all the places I was at my childhood, and uh, so I'm very comfortable here. That's something that we share. I also attended Boca High. Okay, great. So yeah, Bob, go Bobcats. Hey, there you go, man. And it certainly changed this whole area, hasn't it, Boca? Well, it has, uh, and and I think that it's 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 definitely changed for the good. It's a beautiful place. It always has been a beautiful place. And uh, we're really blessed to be able to live, work, and play here, I think. Yeah, and I, and I think it's like most people I talk to, whether it's in California, New York, or even overseas, I say Boca Raton, and they know, whether they heard it on Seinfeld, The Sopranos, or people just know Boca. They do, it's, uh, and they should, because it's a little bit of paradise that we have here. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about its attributes, but uh, I don't ever want to leave here. I hope I never have to. That's great. So George Snow Foundation, tell us about how that started and how long you've been leading it for decades now. Well, I have. And um, so we started this uh, to memorialize my father, uh, George Snow, obviously. Uh, He came to Boca Raton actually in 1958 uh, to take a position as a high school math teacher at Seacrest High School, uh, which was in Delray at the time. Boca High wasn't even... uh, uh, around at that point, but um, uh, taught math there, and then he built homes in the summer months to sort of supplement his income, and that really took off with the growth of the area, and so he's, he quit teaching, but he was always knew the value of education, and while he was alive, he was always trying to help young people that were trying to help themselves. He did it very quietly, very behind the scenes. I could tell you great stories about uh, some of the things that he did to help young people. And many of those things we never even knew about until after he passed away. Um, but after he passed, his friends and my my brother and sisters got together and said, what can we do to kind of memorialize him and what can we do to keep the work that he was doing quietly uh, alive and and keep it going. So we came to the idea of a scholarship fund. Uh, We thought that was very fitting. Of course, we named it after him. And we did it kind of passively uh, for about 10 years. We'd we'd raise a little bit of money, we'd give it away. Um, And we started seeing more and more young people that we wanted to help. But we couldn't because we didn't have the money. So uh, the board, you know, kind of got together and said, let's, uh, you know, let's uh, 
do you want to run this full time? And I said, yeah, I, I would. I really would like to do that. So that's kind of our story. And uh, in 1982, we gave away $6,000. And this year, we're giving away $2.1 million. So wow. we've had a, a lot of great success. Great success. And are you guys giving scholarships to students just in Boca, South Florida, or abroad? So we serve uh, all of Palm Beach County and three schools in northern Broward County, uh, the three northernmost schools in, in Broward. And that's really our core program that we have. We do other programs for folks uh, literally around the country, but our core programs are here in Palm Beach County. And that makes sense. Like if you have a business model, in this case, giving scholarships away as a nonprofit, it would make sense that you've, if you've been doing it for decades successfully, that you would work with other, uh, you know, regions of the country who might want to do the same thing. Because I, I imagine you probably have thought, especially with a URL as special as scholarship.org, that, hey, you could take this nationwide, but that would change the way the organization would work, right? Well, yeah, definitely. And uh, some of the things that we well, we, we've received some accolades recently, and so people call our office and ask for guidance to set up their programs, and and we do that. You know, uh, I do that as what I, I consider kind of my some of my community service work is to do that. Um, but uh, from time to time, there'll be a program where it makes sense for us to help them in a in in you know, a little bit more of a capacity. And so we will do that with some, you know, if, it, if it's a good fit. But uh, like I said, our core focus is Palm Beach County and Northern Broward County right now. Not to say we don't, wouldn't expand that into Broward or Miami-Dade, but again, it's got to, it's got to be a good business decision uh, because it, this kind of philanthropy is very hands-on you know, it takes a lot of personal contact with the schools and to try to get the applicants. There's a lot involved. And so you just really you've got to take all those things in consideration before you make a decision to expand out into other areas. Okay. And if I'm the scholar applying, walk me through that process and how much, like what is the average um, scholarship that you guys give? So uh, we, our applications start in November of the applicant's senior year. So November 1st, uh, if a high school senior goes on our website, they'll see a link to an application. Um, and the, the deadline is February 1st of the following year. So we, uh, in pre-COVID days, we would go out into all the high schools and conduct workshops. Um, since we've not been able to do that, we're doing Zoom calls now with each high school. And in some cases, that's actually a little bit better because the parents then can be on those calls and uh, ask questions about the application. Um, and we just pretty much are trying to educate the people, uh, the applicants on, you know, how to fill out the application uh, the best way. And also other opportunities. We're educating them on other scholarship opportunities around the of the county. Um, and so again, it's an online application. It's pretty, pretty extensive. So you, you know, you need to allocate some time towards it, but we'll get about a thousand applications. Uh, and this year we gave out about, uh, a little less than 250 scholarships. So you've got a one in four chance of, uh, getting a pretty substantial scholarship from us. And, um, those are pretty good odds, right? Um, so, 
uh, we have, it's a whole big selection process that they have to go through. We have 80 people that volunteer on our selection committee. Uh, those uh, folks will, will review about 50 applica different applications. Uh, and then we have an interview process that the students have to go through if they make it that far in the process. Uh, then we do a need analysis on every one of them, any, every one of the students, and then uh, we start allocating our money based on the results of the first phase review, the interviews, and the need analysis. Uh, and we always unfortunately run out of money before we uh, help all the folks that we want to, but um, we're still doing, we're, we're doing a pretty good job of uh, covering the bases. But as sort of the organization grows and time goes on, I, I've seen you, the brand, the awareness of your program, right, and the organization grows. So I, I think there's that, that, that growth line where you, every year you're getting more and more people interested in the program, right? Because there are a lot of organizations in town that cater a similar audience, right, like a Best Foot Forward, and there's a bunch of others that have different programs that cater to students. So how do you work with those or decide working with those as opposed to saying, hey, you know what, since we're giving the scholarship, let's also do tutoring and this and that and the other? Well, um, we do work with a lot of the different agencies. You mentioned Best Foot Forward. We have a scholarship specifically for uh, a, a student of theirs. And a lot of times our donors will come to them, our donors who are passionate about those causes and those charities, and say, I want to create a scholarship that will benefit a student uh, that's involved in Best Foot Forward, for example. Um, and so that's, a, that's really a great thing, and we love working together with different agencies. Uh, we collaborate with, uh, if you look in our annual report, you'll see a, a, literally a page of uh, logos from nonprofit organizations that we collaborate with. And we th we're very proud of that. We think it's very important to do that. Um, uh, and we think that working together, we, we can accomplish, you know, much greater things. And uh, so we'll continue to do that. Um, yeah. So what about the success rate? How do you guys track that? You know, thinking about they start college, they've got your, your scholarship. How do you stay with them through the college years? Because, you know, I, I read the other day, I'm not sure if it was uh, Florida State University, but one of the universities put out a report saying um, the graduation rate was something like 77% for their student body, which I, I know com comparing to the, the, the broad picture of graduation rates is pretty good for college, right? Sure, yeah. But I still thought, man, that is still a lot of kids who do not graduate for, gosh, a bunch of different reasons, right? So how do you guys not only track that, but also try to ensure that they stay on that track, Tim? Well, uh, our organization is very unique in the sense that um, we do give them scholarships and financial support. But when a student gets our scholarship, we tell them, and we really walk this walk, that they become part of our family. And so many times the things that we do for them uh, over and above the financial commitment are more valuable to them than the money. 
Uh, a lot of our scholars come from homes where maybe their parents didn't attend college. So they can't possibly really know how to advise them in certain circumstances that come up uh, during their college career. Uh, and so we have a support system here in place um, that takes care of our kids. And we really basically say, and we really do mean that, you know, we, we treat them like our own sons and daughters. And so we do for them what we would do for our own students. Uh, we just had literally yesterday morning, we wrote a check so that a student could put new tires on their car. Um, we, so we have an emergency fund for them. We send them care packages. If they need a computer, uh, we get them a computer. If they don't, we get them a cash college supply stipend. So it's a very hands-on, very family environment. Uh, our st we got two people on staff that do nothing but take care of the students. And we think that that goes a long way towards uh, our success rate, which is uh, right at 90% uh, graduation rates. And if you look at that in the, uh, as in compared to a national graduation rate or even a state of Florida graduation rate, it's almost double what the state of Florida or the national graduation, uh, college graduation rates are. Um, but when you take that a step further and look at the, the population of students that we're helping who ha all have financial need, uh, it, it's even more impressive, I think. So we know that that hands-on approach, taking care of the kids, whatever they need, uh, giving them that support really adds to our success rate and the success rate of our kids. So let's switch gears and talk entrepreneurship. It takes a lot of skills and, and hard work and strategy to run an organization, nonprofit or for-profit. I know I've been on both sides. I've served on boards and I see how much work it takes. And I can see what some of the pros and cons are to both, right? Limitations, but specifically to nonprofits. What, what would you say is your biggest challenge in running the business? If you're putting on your business leader entrepreneurship hat on, Tim. Well, um, you know, there's, I tell you, we've been really lucky. We've been really blessed. We've got, we have been able to surround ourselves with a great board, a great executive committee. Our volunteers are incredible. Um, but, you know, the challenge is always raising money, right? And, and it's also a challenge. So you have the restricted money and the unrestricted money. Uh, it's a little bit easier to raise the restricted money than it is the unrestricted money. But um, we've had you know, great success at, at, at raising both of those things. And so right now I'm focusing really on, you know, for us as an organization, we have our current needs. And so when I tell you about the $2.1 million that we've awarded, the, you know, that's our current need. And so we'll, we'll start all over in January um, to, to hopefully raise that money again. Uh, but we also have future needs. I, I believe that this organization has, um, is really uh, now a community asset. I mean, the young people in our community look to us to to give them this opportunity. And so um, my hope is that we can create an endowment. We currently have an endowment, a little over $3 million. Um, 
but I, I want to build that up. Uh, we work really hard to raise money, and my hope is that it, uh, someday we'll have a, an endowment that can throw off a substantial amount of money uh, for the young people in this in this uh, county and our community. Uh, and so that maybe someday whoever succeeds me doesn't have to work as hard, um, you know, with with events and all the things that we do to raise our, our, our money. Uh, that makes sense. And it's it's funny when I speak to entrepreneurs, business leaders, usually their biggest pain point is people. It's talent acquisition. Right. <clears throat> but I'm always taken back by that because to to me, the, the biggest challenge in business is sales Con- consistent and growing. It's, it's tough, right? Building a sales team. Now, there are some products that sell themselves like SaaS platforms, software, and things like that. So it's a little bit different. It's more marketing and the process, customer service. But when you said raising money as being your biggest challenge, that, that to me is sales because you need to bring in the money. Same thing for a for-profit. You need to bring in the money. So while talent is always going to be a problem, we're hearing now, right? The, uh, there's, what, nine-plus million jobs out there, and in April, four million people quit. People continue to quit because they want this hybrid model because they got the taste of working from home with COVID. And right. now, so, you know, beyond the, the raising money, and we're going to touch on that because I want to get into how you guys raise that money. I know you guys got some great events that you do throughout the year. But talk to me about talent because you work with these young people and you've seen through the years the Gen Xers, the, the, the you know, millennials, the Gen Z now, what are the differences that, that you have seen uh, as far as like, ha- have they changed that much? I, I mean, I don't really think they've changed that much, to be honest with you. I mean, the young people that we're helping all have, have in the most, for the most part, overcome really major challenges in their lives. And so those challenges, I believe, have made them who they are. Um, they have, uh, they understand that they, their only way out of whatever cycle they're in, whether it's poverty or some other things that are even worse than that, um, is to, is education. And so they will do just about anything, uh, to make sure that they can get a good education and better themselves. And so we see this, um, well, you know, we've seen it for 39 years now. And uh, we've helped over, gosh, I think I just looked, it was 2,300 students. That's a lot of families. Uh, well, it is. And, and, um, but but the, they're, they're really a special group of people. And one of the things that I'm, you know, you talk about talent. One of my goals going forward is I want to keep these young people in Palm Beach County. So our efforts, uh, we're going to hopefully be um, directing some resources towards how do we do that, right? Um, Can we get them internships here? Can we counsel them and uh, make them aware of opportunities for jobs in Palm Beach County? Because, I mean, I can tell you story after story of students going off to school, whether it's MIT, this one young lady that I'm thinking of in particular, graduated Spanish River High School, went to MIT, was a total rock star there. Motorola recruited her during the summer months, took her to Austin uh, to work in the summer uh, for all of her summer uh, throughout her college. And she ended up moving to uh, 
Austin and getting a job with Motorola. Well, I want to do that with our kids here in Palm Beach County um, because, and I feel really confident about it because these kids are, you know, they're, I call them rock stars. I mean, they're, they're the future of our country, the future of our com- community. And uh, if we can just uh, have a concerted effort to coordinate with local businesses, like I said, maybe offering them internships or at least making our scholars aware of job opportunities back here, I think it's going to be better for our, our county for sure. Yeah. And uh, when you're saying, you know, keeping them here, I'm thinking of housing. We cannot have this conversation not talking about housing and real estate, how expensive it is in South Florida in general, but in Boca. I was just talking to a friend yesterday that said, hey, now we're moving up further, you know, to Jupiter and they keep going, you know, because they can't afford to raise a family here because it's not what it was 39 years ago, you know. Um, So how do you I mean, like you said, you're working with, you're going to try to work with some small businesses or businesses in general who can partner. And Boca has many great big Fortune 500 companies who have headquarters here. So that's the great thing. It is strong in that. But have you given any thoughts as what do you do with the biggest cost of living in housing? I mean, not that you're going to try to fix that, but I'm sure in the, in the, if you're thinking in broader terms, like what can you do to influence that? Well, I'm, I'm not sh- I have thought about that a little bit. It's been brought to my attention, you know, more than one time. But at the same time, you know, we just sent a young man up to New York City to work for Goldman Sachs. He has the same issue up there, right? And, and I think that, that in any large metropolitan area, you're going to have a housing issue. I mean, let's face it, it's uh, wherever you go, if you look around the country right now, housing's gone through the roof. And so it, that's just, that's a hurdle that needs to be addressed. Um, I don't know what we can do to address that. And I really, it's not my area of expertise, um, but uh, it, it's definitely something that we should look at. Yeah. So I, I think of it as being, you know, one way to fix that. It's not fix it, but it's to pay better right so better pay and i was just talking to a friend the other day who says well i can't find people and i can't find people he runs a business has about 60 employees and i said well what's the starting pay because it's a customer service team that he's trying to build out and the pay is horrible and i said well that you know i i said my pay starts at like 16 dollars an hour that usually for my part-timers now of course i'm selecting trying to select people with the most amount of skills and the right aptitude and all those things right and putting them through a whole process but i can no longer today in today's market expect that i'm going to find talent for eight dollars an hour well no you can't and you're being naive if you think you can uh, and particularly again with our our kind of student, they're they're highly recruited. I mean, uh, a lot of these folks are going to start, you know, uh, making very respectable salaries right out of college uh, because of the quality of person that they are. And we're really, you know, the, I mean, you and I are talking kind of about two separate things just because of the um, the level of the of the education that they're getting and. Uh, the expertise that they developed throughout their college career. So, uh, it listen, housing has always housing's always been a problem in Boca Raton. I've lived there, like I said, for fifty eight years, and it, everything's relative. I mean, it's uh, I look at some of the homes that I, uh, you know, wish I had bought 
uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> and I, st I couldn't afford them 20 years ago, and I still can't afford them today. But they're worth a lot more money. And uh, again, everything's sort of relative. Yeah. But you're right, though. Boca offers so many things that I think for any young person that's trying to build a young family, whether it's the parks, the outdoors, the beach, uh, theaters, like, I mean, there's so much here. And if you want to grow, grow a family, of course, the universities, you've got an executive airport. Right. Sky's the limit. For, for a small city, we sure do offer quite a bit, right? Well, you, absolutely. Like you say, you talk about the airport. I, that, I, used to, I worked at the airport in high school, and I, I saw uh, the benefit of having that airport here in terms of the economic development of the area. There were definitely uh, uh, CEOs that would fly into Boca Raton and later move their companies here because they love living here, and they, they have the access to transportation uh, like the airport. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, we've got a great inlet here. We've, you know, to get out to to boat and, and even uh, the Everglades. I yeah, mean, uh, that's a great asset that we have in in our community that most people are not even aware of. So there's a lot to enjoy here for sure. That's true. So talk to me about the events. I know you guys have some great events. So raising money is important, and you put on these events, which I'm assuming, like many nonprofits, they become a really important piece of the puzzle, right? Well, yeah, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and, and really talking to them about our events. And our events are a core part of what we do. I mean, they're a core part of uh, us raising money. And um, we, do, we do really four major events throughout the year. Uh, uh, the first one I'll talk about is called Bocas Ballroom Battle. Actually, now it's called Ballroom Battle uh, because of COVID, we've not been able to have it at the uh, Boca Raton Resort, but we do broadcast it on uh, the NBC affiliate WPTV up in West Palm Beach. So um, August 14th, uh, you'll be able to turn your television on at seven o'clock on Saturday night and watch our event. And um, we've had great success with that event. This, I think, is uh, our 13th or 14th year. And um, so that that opportunity of going with the t local TV channel, does that did that come out of COVID? It absolutely came out of COVID. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell you, uh, this, this the COVID is, has been a, a horrific thing for for so many people. And I've lost a, a, a great friend of mine to COVID. But um, one of the things that's shown me is that, you know, uh, you can you can overcome just about any challenge, and and I feel so much more confident about uh, the organization. And you know, when when it first happened, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what we're going to do here. We're going to, you know, the revenue that we're going to lose for not being able to have this event is going to be devastating. And so uh, Debbie Filer, who's our our um, events uh, person here, uh, and I, you know, we. We, we threw all the spaghetti up against the wall and saw what stuck, and, and we came to the conclusion that we could do an actual television show uh, and broadcast it and have it on the Internet, and we actually made more money than we ever made uh, having it in person. So we're going to do it again this year. Uh, we, we will definitely go back in person next year. Uh, God willing, but um, yeah. But then probably have the television too, if you could. Well, we might. We'll see. We got to analyze that and see, you know, what 
if what costs are associated with with doing that and 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 then how much would we bring in but you know um we touched in well at the resort we would have 800 people uh there which is great it's it's sold out but having it on television we were in 23,000 households so the awareness that that brought us i think is you know is substantial and so it all goes into the equation and uh yeah it turned out great how about the other events is, is that the biggest event of the year that's our biggest room. event and then we have an event called the cowboy ball which is a total blast every year and we've done that for like 26 years uh we'll have that in november on november 5th and we will have that over at the resort and it will be in person and then we do a golf tournament that we're going to have in September. And in pre-COVID days, we would do an awards reception, uh, which is really a, a, really a feel-good event where we bring all the kids, their families, all of our donors together for uh, a dinner and, a, and a, basically an award ceremony that we have. And uh, that's a night that just, uh, it's the culmination of a year's worth of work. And you get to meet the kids and see, you know, their gratitude. Uh, so it's a special night. And those, so those are the four events that we do. Wonderful. Well, Tim, before we wrap it up, I always like to finish with some good advice from experienced uh, business leaders like yourself. So I work with a lot of startups, first stage entrepreneurs. And they, you know, they want advice, right? They're reading the books. They're looking at the podcast, watching TED Talks. They're doing all of that. And, you know, it's like information from a fire hose. And I said, yeah, but, you know, you pick from which ones really ide you identify with. You don't have to do what everyone has been doing because your, your venture is going to be different than theirs right. in a different market. So take it with a grain of salt. But what, what advice would you give for a first stage entrepreneur, you know, as far as, work ethic or it, it, like what kind of advice would you give well i never think that i'm really worthy of giving anybody any advice about anything to be honest with you but you know i think some of the things that um have contributed to our success are being creative and innovative uh thinking out of the box you know, i think this you know example of our event uh, ballroom battle is a great example of you know when things look the worst uh, you know, you put your head to it and you can figure anything out and make it happen. And I think the other thing for us is, you know, make yourself set apart, be different. And I think, you know, we're different in the sense that we saw a need for our, our students to have certain support services. And so uh, we just listened to our students, which would be the entrepreneurs' customers, and what do they want? And we give them what they want and what they need. And so I think those two things really um, have greatly contributed to our success. Yeah, one of the other things I guess that uh, jumps out at me is, you know, surround yourself with people who are a lot smarter than you are. And um, we've been able to do that. We've got just amazing people that are helping us with the organization and embrace as many people as you can and get them involved in your, in your company or your cause. And uh, you'll be successful at it. It might take a, a little longer than you think, but uh, <laughs> it always does. Yeah, but but it'll work out. It always does. Absolutely. Well, um, tell us how we can find you or how I can really show the world what the George Snow Foundation is doing. Well, really, the easiest thing is to go on our website. You mentioned our URL is scholarship.org. 
Um, and, you know, you can get a wealth of information from our website, really learn about all of the different uh, programs that we have for our students, ways to become involved, whether it's sponsoring a, uh, uh, an event or uh, being volunteering for uh, our selection committee. Um, and the other thing that, you know, a lot of people do is utilize us uh, and our infrastructure if they want to create a scholarship uh, to memorialize someone in their family. Um, giving scholarships is a very complicated uh, form of philanthropy. There's a lot of things that people just don't know what they don't know. And having done this for 39 years, uh, we have the infrastructure in place uh, and we can do it very easily for people uh, so that they can help a young person break the cycle that they're in. Uh, they can make it for any career path or, or whatever their passion is. Um, and so that's an exciting part of my job is working with donors to create something that meets their philanthropic goals and, uh, and at the same time changes somebody's life for generations to come. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I, I think that that's an interesting part of what you guys do and offer. So I'll add that to the show notes. And uh, look, thanks so much for your time. And, you know, keep spreading all this greatness that you're doing, Tim. Thank you so much. Alex, thanks for the opportunity to tell our story. And it's great to see you. And uh, thank you for all the good work that you're doing for so many people. Oh, you're welcome. That's it for the Dadpreneur Podcast with Alex Oliveira. Like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you have questions, email us at listener at dadpreneur.co. You may also visit dadpreneur.co for free resources.